0: We continue with the third and final episode of 303 Creative v. Ellenus. Part 5 It is difficult to read the dissent and conclude we are looking at the same case. Much of it focuses on the evolution of public accommodations laws and the strides gay Americans have made towards securing equal justice under law. And no doubt there is much to applaud here, But none of this answers the question we face today. Can a state force someone who provides her own expressive services to abandon her conscience and speak its preferred message instead? When the dissent finally gets around to that question, more than halfway into its opinion, it reimagines the facts of this case from top to bottom. The dissent claims that Colorado wishes to regulate Ms. Smith's conduct, not her speech. Forget Colorado's stipulation that Ms. Smith's activities are expressive, and the Tenth Circuit's conclusion that the state seeks to compel pure speech. The dissent chides us for deciding a pre-enforcement challenge, but it ignores the Tenth Circuit's finding that Ms. Smith faces a credible threat of sanctions unless she conforms her views to the states. The dissent suggests, over and over again, that any burden on speech here is incidental, all despite the Tenth Circuit's finding that Colorado intends to force Ms. Smith to convey a message she does not believe, with the very purpose of eliminating ideas that differ from its own. Nor does the dissent's reimagination end there, It claims that, for the first time in its history, the court grants a business open to the public a right to refuse to serve members of a protected class. Never mind that we do no such thing, and Colorado itself has stipulated Ms. Smith will, as Cotta requires, work with all people regardless of sexual orientation. Never mind, too, That it is the dissent that would have this court do something truly novel by allowing a government to coerce an individual to speak contrary to her beliefs on a significant issue of personal conviction, all in order to eliminate ideas that differ from its own. There is still more. The dissent asserts that we sweep under the rug petitioners' challenge to Cada's Communication Clause. This despite the fact that the parties and the Tenth Circuit recognize that Ms. Smith's communication clause challenge hinges on her accommodation clause challenge. The dissent even suggests that our decision today is akin to endorsing a separate but equal regime that would allow law firms to refuse women admission into partnership, restaurants to deny service to Black Americans, or businesses seeking employees to post something like a white applicants-only sign. Pure fiction all. In some places, the dissent gets so turned around about the facts that it opens fire on its own position. For instance, while stressing that a Colorado company cannot refuse the full and equal enjoyment of its services based on a customer's protected status— the dissent assures us that a company selling creative services to the public does have a right to decide what messages to include or not to include, but if that is true, what are we even debating? Instead of addressing the party's stipulations about the case actually before us, the dissent spends much of its time adrift on a sea of hypotheticals about photographers, stationers, and others asking if they, too, provide expressive services covered by the First Amendment. But those cases are not this case. Doubtless, determining what qualifies as expressive activity protected by the First Amendment can sometimes raise difficult questions. But this case presents no complication of that kind. The parties have stipulated that Ms. Smith seeks to engage in expressive activity— and the Tenth Circuit has recognized her services involve pure speech. Nothing the dissent says can alter this, nor can it displace the First Amendment protections that follow. The dissent's treatment of precedent parallels its handling of the facts. Take its remarkable suggestion that a government forcing an individual to create speech on weighty issues with which she disagrees, all, as the Tenth Circuit found, with the goal of eliminating views it does not share, only incidentally burdens First Amendment liberties. Far from embracing a notion like that, our cases have rejected it time after time, including in the context of public accommodations laws. When it finally gets around to discussing these controlling precedents, the dissent offers a wholly unpersuasive attempt to distinguish them. The First Amendment protections furnished in Barnett, Hurley, and Dale, the dissent declares, were limited to schoolchildren and non-profits, and it is dispiriting to think they might also apply to Ms. Smith's commercial activity. But our precedents endorse nothing like the limits the dissent would project on them. Instead, as we have seen— the First Amendment extends to all persons engaged in expressive conduct, including those who seek profit, such as speechwriters, artists, and website designers. If anything is truly dispiriting here, it is the dissent's failure to take seriously this Court's enduring commitment to protecting the speech rights of all comers, no matter how controversial or even repugnant Many may find the message at hand. Finally, the dissent comes out and says what it really means. Once Ms. Smith offers some speech, Colorado would require her to create and sell speech, notwithstanding her sincere objection to doing so, and the dissent would force her to comply with that demand. Even as it does so, however, The dissent refuses to acknowledge where its reasoning leads." In a world like that, as Chief Judge Timkovich highlighted, governments could force an unwilling Muslim movie director to make a film with a Zionist message. They could compel an atheist muralist to accept a commission celebrating evangelical zeal. And they could require a gay website designer to create websites for a group advocating against same sex marriage, so long as these speakers would accept commissions from the public with different messages. Perhaps the dissent finds these possibilities untroubling because it trusts state governments to coerce only enlightened speech. But if that is the calculation, it is a dangerous one indeed. The dissent is right about one thing. What a difference time can make. Eighty years ago in Barnett, this court affirmed that no official, high or petty, can prescribe what shall be orthodox in politics, nationalism, religion, or other matters of opinion. The court did so despite the fact that the speech rights it defended were deeply unpopular at the time, The world was at war and many thought respect for the flag and the pledge essential for the welfare of the state. Fifty years ago, this court protected the right of Nazis to march through a town home to many Holocaust survivors and along the way espouse ideas antithetical to those for which this nation stands. Five years ago, in a case the dissenters highlight at the outset of their opinion, the court stressed that it is not the role of the state or its officials to prescribe what shall be offensive. And just days ago, members of today's dissent joined in holding that the First Amendment restricts how states may prosecute stalkers despite the harmful, low-value, and upsetting nature of their speech. Today, however, the dissent abandons what this court's cases have recognized time and time again. A commitment to speech for only some messages and some persons is no commitment at all. By approving a government's effort to eliminate disfavored ideas, today's dissent is emblematic of an unfortunate tendency by some to defend First Amendment values only when they find the speaker's message sympathetic. But if liberty means anything at all, it means the right to tell people what they do not want to hear. In this case, Colorado seeks to force an individual to speak in ways that align with its views but defy her conscience about a matter of major significance. In the past, other states in Barnett, Hurley, and Dale have similarly tested the First Amendment's boundaries by seeking to compel speech they thought vital at the time. But as this Court has long held, the opportunity to think for ourselves and to express those thoughts freely is among our most cherished liberties and part of what keeps our Republic strong. Of course, abiding the Constitution's commitment to freedom of speech means all of us will encounter ideas we consider unattractive. But tolerance, not coercion, is our nation's answer. The First Amendment envisions the United States as a rich and complex place where all persons are free to think and speak as they wish, not as the government demands. Because Colorado seeks to deny that promise, the judgment is reversed. We've come to the end of the opinion. Until next episode, thanks for listening to What SCOTUS Wrote Us.